It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lutie. On Mondays, we're going through a series. Uh, This is the fifth installment of it, and uh, it is called The Glossary of the Gospel. It's very... uh, specifically designed is almost like a new believer's training. So uh, as a new believer is coming into the kingdom of heaven, so often there isn't a grounding in the most basic infrastructure of how Christianity works. And so we sort of flounder for sometimes decades trying to piece it together. And so what this series is, is it's just sort of a uh, precept upon precept process of discipleship. Then for the older believers, it's actually a help and a tool to help understand how discipleship works because that's almost like a lost art. And that's one of our strengths here is just sort of that systematic uh, layering uh, of truth upon truth. And so for those of you that are just joining, we do have a podcast and this, uh, you could actually go back and see all the individual parts of it. Uh, but uh, in classic Eric Ludi style, I always name everything I do. So this is the center of the center. Even if it's a devotion, it has to have a name. And uh, so I have said this many times actually in uh, the Daily Thunder process, but the problem with all of us, if you want to say what sin is in its very essence, is that the, at the center of the center of our life is self. And when self takes the God position... It destroys everything. And as sin is defined uh, in the Greek hamartia, it means to miss the mark, like an archer term. Uh, no matter how hard you try, if self is the one pulling the bow, you're going to miss. There's only one way for the life to be corrected, and that's for Jesus Christ to gain his central position in our life. And that is a transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. As long as self is at the center, there's darkness. But when Christ takes center position, there is life. And so this is very critical in the development of the Christian thought. Because in, like for instance, American Christianity, there's a breakdown where we're wanting to blend self into Christianity as if self can still remain center, but tack on Jesus on the outside. And that's a non-functional Christianity. And a lot of Christians can't figure out why their Christianity doesn't work Well, we sort of need to die here. We need to let go of our life and let Christ have it. So in particular, this this session that I'm going through is going to be focused on the cross of Christ as a salient, uh, central theme to the development of a Christian in their understanding. Matthew 27 is just, it's one of my favorite passages. Of course, I could say that about most scripture, a classic pastoral statement. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. Okay, this is one of the most bizarre things. We oftentimes will just keep moving over. It's like, yeah, that happened. But, I mean, literally we have an earthquake. We have graves opening up. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. Now, so I I have postulated the the thought. So graves were opened, 
But they didn't come out until after the resurrection. So you imagine this guy just sort of sitting there and waiting. I always picture him behind one of those big, you know, uh, boulders, and he's stuck in his grave. And it's like, but then when Jesus arrives, maybe it rises, then maybe there's a few other rocks that roll away, and the guy's like stepping out. And what would it be like? Were these people that had just died? Or, you know, it could be generations ago that they died. So it's like great, 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 great aunt, uncle aunt and uncle. I mean, who, who's showing up? We have no idea. I, this is such an obscure statement. That's not what I'm teaching. It's just fascinating. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly this was the son of God. Something is taking place here at the cross that is so magnificent that even an onlooker that knows nothing about the historic understanding of the Messiah and the long-awaited arrival recognizes that this is something special. Not just something special, but this man that just died is the Son of God. A term I want to use is epicenter. And if you know earthquakes, you understand the word. Uh, and epa... Uh, it comes from the term upon or on top of or founded on. Kentron is where we get the word center from. The middle, the center, the midst. So upon the middle. So here's three definitions of epicenter. That which occupies a cardinal point, something situated on center in the position of greatest importance. Now you recognize I'm, I'm going to be talking about the cross. So when I say epicenter and I give that definition, that matters. That's a, that's a great definition for the cross. The point on the Earth's surface vertically above the hypocenter or focus of an earthquake, the point where an earthquake or underground exploding originates. That's the one most of us understand as the epicenter of an earthquake. The central point of something. This is another great definition. Typically, a difficult or unpleasant situation, often the place of greatest damage. So the epicenter of an earthquake is where you don't want to be. Uh, it is the place of greatest damage. It is the central point of something. So if you're going to define an entire earthquake and you were to say, well, where was the epicenter? That's the point of greatest damage. And so it's interesting because I'm going to take this very term and I'm going to apply it to the cross. The epicenter. Oh, it, it's, sorry, I, I copied and pasted but didn't change it. This was supposed to be a play on words, but I sort of messed it up. It's supposed to be the epic enter. Okay, and I was going to, it is a play on words, I'm, I'm, I've lost my moment, so it's not as powerful as it would have been, but I was going to put a hyphen after the C instead of before the C. I just copied and pasted it too quickly this morning. So epic means that which narrates the deeds and adventures of a heroic or legendary figures of, or of the history of a nation, and then enter to come or go into. And so this is actually, it's profound, it really is. The epic enter, if you were to understand the cross, not just as the epicenter, but as the epic enter. So entering the hero's deeds, the cross, and what I'm going to focus on today is the amazing reality of what is taking place. Now, you could spend years on just the cross. So the fact that I'm doing a quick devotional on it is a massive uh, undersell of, of what is actually taking place here. So I'm doing some, some very uh, quick summary points here. Entering the hero's deed, coming into the legendary work of the cross and calling it home. Fixing your bed, your dresser, your desk, and your hopes to the bloodstained labors of the epic champion and resolving to stay forever. The epicenter. It's the place of the great earthquake. So something is going to take place in history, and it's interesting because there's going to be three earthquakes. Three that are going to take place that mark the significant moments 
of God and his working. I mean, it's just sort of a fascinating thought. The cross, there's an earthquake. The resurrection, there's an earthquake. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the building shakes. I mean, it's just, hey, I'm just mentioning it. It's, it's a fascinating statement. There's three earthquakes in each of those. I mean, we're going to talk about some of the most salient, most cardinal, most important things that matter in the life of a Christian. So we don't want to miss the earthquake. Okay, the epicenter is the place of the great earthquake. But this is what I would like to call it today. It's the place to call home, the most dangerous place on earth. Okay, now, instinctively, humanity pushes away this location, this cross. It is offensive, everything about it. I mean, even God seems to go out of his way. It's a, it's a device of torture. It's a device of death. And this has become a symbol. And we are the original tree huggers. We're the ones that literally come up to it, and we don't push it away. We embrace it. There's something so opposite that is taking place here in us, and you have to, we have to recognize there's an awakening of the Holy Spirit to cause us to live, to reason, and to think differently about this than we naturally would. No one runs towards the epicenter of an earthquake, and yet... If you want to find life, you need to run to the epicenter of this earthquake. The epic enter. There's my, that's the way it was supposed to be originally. Okay, you guys got that? Some of you still are like, no, you blew it. You, you can't win us back now on that one. The willingness to come to the most dangerous place on earth, say goodbye to all earthly security, enter the blood-sealed door of the bruised and bullet-riddled house, and call this scourge-spat-upon, blood-stained, earthquaked war zone your home forever and always. Okay, now if any of you saw The Passion of the Christ, that is, and some people I've even heard say that is still an understatement of what he probably looked like, okay? But talk about bruised and battered and opened up. But to, to imagine setting that in front of us and saying, do you want to enter this life? Do you want that? We, with the eyes of faith, see the blood-battered, bullet-riddled, if you will, I mean, I'm using war terms here, Christ, and we say, I want to make that my home. Do you recognize what you're signing up for? Do you understand what you're entering into? You see, many of us have been sold a bill of goods that Christianity is a life of ease and comfort, and if you really want a better existence on this earth, Believe in Jesus and everything will start going good for you. Instead of recognizing it is a deliberate choice to give up life as you now know it, to enter into life as he has truly defined it, with a capital L. You have life, yes, but it's lowercase l, and it's miserable. It's all about you. It's, it's encompassed, it's, it's held hostage in sin, it has an eternal condemnation weighing down upon it. It is driving you into the dirt. If you want out, you have to give up that life. You have to repent, put it off, and enter into the life of Christ. Don't fear the dangerous place. Fascinating meditation here. For the greatest danger is actually the safest place in the entire universe. And that's what's so amazing about this, is this epicenter of the earthquake, this cross, this place that everyone would be scared to death to get near, to get near the center of an earthquake, 
as the power of God is being realized here. And yet, just like a, a father, one of those big, huge, burly fathers, okay, like Travis. Uh, that would be sort of like the big, burly. Uh, and so he has these little children, and these little children are willing to wrestle him. What, what child in their right mind would ever come up to a big, burly Travis Palmer and ever want to wrestle him? Don't they realize that he is so much more powerful than them? Yes, but they also know something else, and that is that he seeks their highest good and that he loves them. You see, we are willing to enter into this dangerous place because it's not just a place of judgment, wrath, and curse. It's a place of love. There's something so tremendous taking place here. And when we enter into that place, we are secured from all that is actually coming upon Christ, that wrath, that curse, all of it, that judgment. When we enter into that place, we are actually spared from it. In the middle of the middle. So in Revelation 5 and in Revelation 7, you're going to see this. It's a really interesting thing in the Greek. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Okay, so as good Christians, we understand the lamb that was slain. I mean, that's Jesus. So what are you seeing in the midst of the throne? You're seeing Jesus. But very specifically, it seems to be a statement of this cross. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water and shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So look at what uh, this is. For the lamb which is in the midst, it's ana and mesos of the throne. So if you really want to understand what that means, it's for the lamb which is in the center of the center of the throne. It's like the middle of the middle. So in the very middle of the middle, you have a lamb that was slain. So God is showing us right there the priority that is being found upon this lamb being slain. The significance of this in the middle of the middle of the throne. And so what we recognize is that in the formation of a Christian life, in the very middle of the middle is this lamb that was slain. I mean, we are a mobile holy of holies. We are. There is a throne room right here. And in the middle of the middle of this life, there needs to be a lamb that was slain. And when we share our life, when we preach truth, when we give the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's in the middle of the middle of what we're sharing? What's in the middle of the middle of what we're sharing is what was in the middle of the middle of what Paul was sharing. Paul knew other things, and yet to the church at Corinth, says, for I determined not to know anything among you save that which is in the middle of the middle, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the middle of the middle. This is the center of the center. This is the north star that we all fix our compasses to. Yes, there's still an east, south, and west, but we need to understand first the north so that we can all be led in the same direction. So Jesus and him crucified. It's the middle of the middle of all history. It's hard to argue that, by the way. I mean, it just is. It's the center of the center of all history. So even history is governed by that. It's the epicenter of all truth. You can take all truth and it all is summarized right there. The epicenter of all revelation. All of the Bible, all of the, the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit leading along the writers of that scripture. What are they writing about in the Old Testament? What is it building towards? And what does it flow out of? It goes to this high mountain. It says he will come and in one day he'll remove the iniquity of the land. 
And it gives great detail, not just of who this one would be, of what lineage and genealogy he will come, but it shares very specifically what will happen in that one day. It says a thousand years before that day that they will pierce his hands and feet. It says that they will cast lots for his clothing and divide them amongst themselves. A thousand years before. It says 750 years before that he will be numbered with the transgressors, that he will make intercession for them. It goes into great detail in Isaiah 53 into that cross. This is all the center of the center, the middle of the middle of all revelation. The epicenter of all righteousness. You want to understand righteousness? Stare at that cross. You'll understand it. The epicenter of all doctrine. If you miss this, all your doctrine stinks. This is the epicenter. This is the center of the center. This is the north star with which we fix. So much of the church will fix a different north star than what Paul gives. And they'll fix it on soteriology. They'll fix it on eschatology. They'll fix it on morality. They'll fix it on something that are truths but they're not the epicenter. They're not the truth of truths. The epicenter of all life and power. This is where a Christian lives from. The secret to understanding the scriptures, live, breathe, study, reason, and interpret from this spot, the most dangerous place on earth. We call it home. This is where we find our life. We cherish this location. This is where we were redeemed. This is where we find life. You know, out of his side flows a river of living water. Blood to a Jew, life. Mixed with water, it's a river. And this is the very river that flows into us and out of us. This is how Christianity functions. We go to the fountainhead, and it's right here. Acts 8, boy, my, my spacing. I, I want to get a little space, especially for your artistic folk in here, which I know are present today. That, that space stinks up top. <laughs> Acts 8, did I hear an amen to that? <laughs> and the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip. That's probably why there's an amen. There's a Philip that was saying amen. Saying, arise and go towards the south under the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. Now, many of you guys know this story, but this is such a fascinating story in what we're talking about right now. Okay, so you have this Jewish Ethiopian man. He's come to Jerusalem to worship. We're, we're presuming he's, he's a Jew, right? He has the scriptures. And... He's sitting in a chariot, and he's in the, the desert region, which is very symbolic of where the Jew is. In other words, they're still caught in that land where they haven't believed and they haven't followed Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, into the land of promise. And so the symbol of Philip going to him, Philip has something. Philip is carrying something that is the ultimate answer for this man. So then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The guy just happens to be reading Isaiah 53, which is a very clear enunciation of the cross of Christ. Not an accident here. And the eunuch answered, Philip and, and said, I pray thee, of whom speaks the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? I want you to just ponder this, okay? Now, I underlined it just so that we wouldn't miss it, obviously. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him. Oh, what did he preach? Now, I just want you to ponder what was preached because there's a lot of things that we preach today. Someone opens up their Bible and it's like, oh, I could lead them to a great understanding of my soteriological vantage point on this one. Oh, I could teach them my eschatological viewpoint here. Oh, I could get a good ethical moral foundation for them out of this. All of which could be true. However, the message of the early church, when they went around and they preached, it's, it's awfully simple what they preached. They preached Christ. And what did he open his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him? Jesus, the lamb that was slain in the midst of the throne. In Christ. So there's a term that Paul uses in the New Testament, often and always. In fact, tomorrow morning, uh, Nathan is going through an expositional study on Ephesians, and the whole book is basically about our position. And our position, I ask my, uh, my congregation all the time, I'm like, what's your position? So we'll do that right now. What's your position? You see, we have a position, and that is not in Adam. You see, that's what our position was. Our position was in Adam. However, we put off our old man. We repented of making ourselves the center of the center, and we made him the center of the center. We believed in Christ Jesus, which is the same concept. We're, we're giving him our life. We're trusting him to be our rescuer. And in so doing, he is moving to that center position to take his rightful place. This is his life for him to do with as he sees fit. And so this concept of position is critical in understanding the New Testament. We are actually in Christ Jesus. The armor of God in Ephesians is just the further enunciation of that. Hey guys, put on that armor. You have the armor. You have Christ Jesus. The, the merits, the, the, the value, what you have access to when you're in Christ. First of all, I mean, talk about a great one. We have access to the throne room of grace. We can actually boldly enter as long as we're in Christ. Don't try and boldly enter the throne room of grace without uh, Christ. That's a dangerous thing. That's like the sons of Siva. You know, they're like... Uh, so demon come out of that guy in the, in the Jesus that Paul preaches about. And then they get roughed up. The clothes are stripped away. Bad, bad news, right? You don't try and do those things without understanding the, the, the seriousness of holy, holy, holiness. Of righteous, righteous, righteousness. But in Christ Jesus, there is a satisfying offering. There is a righteousness that is not our own, but we're able to find it as our clothing. We're able to be found in his purity. And so though we are a work in progress underneath this brilliant clothing, his clothing is sufficient to allow us entry. Being in Christ gives us access unto the Father. How do you, you expect to get to the Father? There's only one guy that's ever been worthy of it. His name is Jesus. And so if we don't find that 
open door and we don't enter into that open door in Christ and find that as our home, we have no access. We have no hope in this world. But we do have Christ. And so as a result, this concept that Paul brings out, you'll notice two concepts in the New Testament. One is in Christ. The other is Christ in you, which is used in Colossians. And it's profound because to have Christ in you, you need to be in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you have access to the throne room of grace. You have access unto the Father. And Jesus says, hey, ask the Father in my name. Ask him for the Holy Spirit so that Christ could live in us. The grand secret of Christianity is found in this position. By faith, you enter into Christ. You are actually entering into his sacrifice. When he died, your old man was crucified. I am crucified with Christ, says Paul. What do you mean you were crucified with Christ? There were three up there. Two were thieves, and then Jesus. I don't, I don't remember seeing you, Paul. What, what do you mean you were crucified with Christ? He identifies with Christ by faith and now shares in his work. You see, we share in Adam's work. And so as long as we remain with self as the middle of the middle, we share in Adam's work and we share in his just condemnation. But... When we put off Adam, we now share in Christ's work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into the heavenly realms where he's seated in heavenly places. We share in this, and now we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. So look at this, surprise. You guys surprised? It's right there, surprise. Jesus is meant to be entered like a door, like a strong tower, like clothing, like a house. He's the place we are to live and call home. The epic entry. See, that, that's still my play on words. Remember that? The, the one I blew in the very beginning? You guys still haven't forgiven me for that. I, look at that. I, the harshness of this audience is, is, is something else. So, a.k.a. the entry into the epic. Remember that definition of epic? I really like that. On my 40th birthday, uh, they, had a, they made a video for me. I'm 48. Am I 48 now? 47, 48. I think I'm 48. This is like scary. I've forgotten how old I am. That's like really sad. Uh, How old am I, Sandy? 48? Okay. I'm 48, guys. So this was like eight years ago. And uh, they made a video called, it was like epic. And they switched, like Eric, they made the R. They knocked off that little uh, leg on the R. And my name became epic. That is why didn't my parents name me Epic? That is like such a great name. Epic Ludi. The Ludi sort of messes it up. I remember, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the, the Japanese foreign exchange student in college that came over and, and I introduced myself. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Eric Ludi. And she started laughing. I'm like, excuse me, what, what's so funny? Uh, in Japan, Ludi me nerd. Uh, I said, well, in America, it means stud. The epicenter of the gospel. The epicenter of the life that actually works. You want a life that works? Come to the cross. Make it your home. Enter into Christ's wounds right there. His wounds are yours. Opened for you so that you could have access unto his life. Step in. Step into his life. You need to recognize what you're stepping into, though. You're stepping into the center of all the battle 
the very center of the center where all hell is beating against. Yeah. Eyes wide open. Eric Ludy's a happy guy because I found my life right there. It's the epicenter of Christianity. Christianity isn't found in any other place. It's grounded right here in the lamb that was slain. The epicenter of the entire Bible, all doctrine and all preaching. If you're preaching anything that is taking away from that North Star that isn't bringing people back to that North Star, what's the value of it unless it's supporting it? The place of the earthquake. It's the place of our rescue. It's the place of our eternal living. Isn't it amazing that the epicenter of an earthquake is the place of our rescue? Such damage is done. But it's not damage to us. It's damage to all that stands against him. To the powers of sin. To the, to the head of the serpent crushed. To the flesh that has controlled us. To the grave. These things are defeated. But we are rescued. The place of our eternal living the place of suffering. See, these things oftentimes get divided out by a lot of Christians. It's like, well, let's leave that one out of the list. And yet, Christianity is only discovered in its fullest when you recognize that suffering comes with this. You share in a fellowship. It's a fellowship of his sufferings. You're entering into the bloodied man. You're entering into the epicenter of the battle. Did you not expect it to be rocked a little and shaken a little. However, you're in him and you're held. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. All right, that's about as exciting as it gets. So it's the place of suffering. It's the place of victory. It's the place of war. It's the place of peace. It's the place of agony. It's the place of joy. Boy, spend time in Christianity and you know each of those things. You become very intimately familiar with them. Yeah, it's a place of agony. So Eric, tell me about your life. Well, I'm the most joy-filled man you'll ever meet. So everything's easy for you? Oh no, no, it's a life of great agony and suffering. Well, wait, what? wait a minute, no, cl clarify here. You just said that you were full of joy yeah, and peace, peace, peace that passes understanding. Wait a minute, I just thought you said, yeah, I said it. Yeah, there's suffering, there's agony. Oh boy, I have Jesus. You see, I have a consolation in the midst of it. I have a bubbling up of the life of God in the midst of it. In fact, it grows stronger. The consolation of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit grows stronger to the degree that you suffer difficulty. So as a result, as Christians, we're like, hey, there's no downside. The more difficulty, the more consolation. See that? That's why we're happy. You throw us into a prison cell, we can sing songs. You see, Christianity is founded right here. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building. Wilt thou raise it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. So when you recognize that in Christianity, this temple is considered the body of Christ. And then Paul says, do you not know? that you are the temple of the living God? You are the body of Christ. Well, how is the body of Christ treated? Well, not very kindly. Welcome to the body of Christ, guys. We don't shy away, but we walk in with eyes wide open. We recognize we are entering the place of war. 
But we aren't, don't need to be sheepish about it. We don't need to be fearful about it. God is our shield and our buckler. He is our wall of defense. He is our clothing. We are given him. So no matter what the enemy does to us, we still have a robust grace and faith and mercy and, and life within us. Are you willing to call this dangerous place home? Are you willing to sell all other property and move here to this place? It's prime real estate, guys. Are you willing to throw away everything that can't coexist in this divine and heavenly home? Because there's no mixture here. Are you willing to move into a place where the sound of war will be the background score to your life? Are you willing to choose the ignominy that is associated with this location? For those of this earth, for those of this earth, call those that dwell here fools, idiots, the off-scouring of the world, refuse, garbage, ignorant, small-minded, intellectually inferior. Are you willing to fall in love with this place, cherish it as your eternal dwelling, in covenant to never leave, whether in sickness or in health, whether living in plenty or in want, and whether amidst bomb blasts or the cooing of turtle doves? No matter what, are you willing to enter into covenant with the living God? It's called the new covenant in his blood. And you don't break covenant, guys. Have you studied covenant? You don't break those. This is forever and always. Whether in sickness or in health, it's whether living in plenty or in want, it makes no difference. You're here to stave. Are you willing to make the epicenter of the most dangerous earthquake in universal history your dwelling place? There is only one house. Out of all the real estate on earth, this is actually the loan option. Every other house is burned to the ground. You could look at it as a shelter, but it won't shelter you in the time of judgment and wrath. There's actually only one house, so I know this doesn't seem appealing to our natural man. But technically, if you had God's eyesight and you could look at every other option for shelter and salvation, they're burned to the ground. They have no ability to save you. There is only one means of salvation, one piece of real estate in which you can find life. By man came death, in Adam all die. By man came also the resurrection of the dead, in Christ shall all be made alive. So here's the full scripture. For since... By man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Key terms for the day. Usually what I do in the glossary of the gospel, for those of you that haven't gone through it, is I go through key terms, and I usually have a lot. Today I have one. Cross. You see, this is such a unique word in how it is used in Scripture, even how Christ uses it. Pick up your cross and follow me. Well, uh, imagine what that sounded like. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, like, pick up your electric chair and follow me, you know, is to try and give some kind of understanding. This is, but an electric chair, you die pretty quickly. A cross is a form of long-suffering. I mean, it, it's like, hey, well, when you pick up your cross, you say goodbye to your life. You don't return after you pick up a cross. It's like, this is an awkward thing to have as a key symbol, and we like wear it around our neck. This is a very critical thing in the kingdom of heaven, to understand what a cross is, and understand that we have a cross. We don't carry Christ's cross, but we are called to, in like fashion, say goodbye to this earth and its comforts, its applause, and follow the one who has already set the course. He says, follow me, guys. Follow me. 
So in this process of Christian growth, every time we've done it, I give that little statement, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot function in this life. This body, you could have all the right doctrine, but if you don't have the life of God inside of you, living inside of this body, it's non-functional. It's not going to work. And the key exercise for this week, worship. I feel like that fit rather well with this particular message. Worship. Worship doesn't just mean singing, as many of us would understand. It's like a bowing down, a, like a licking. I think in the Hebrew, it's like a dog uh, licking a master's foot or something like that. I, mean, I don't remember the exact term. It's, it is a lying low. It's a prostration of life. And for us to recognize that as a discipline of the Christian life, to worship our God for what he has done, to give him his due, to fall prostrate, is an exercise that is so critical in our souls. You don't have to be singing when you do it. You live this way. You live with a bentness to God where whatever he desires, he gets. He's worthy of it. And so to, to build this discipline into our life is of critical importance. All right, why don't we transition? Uh, I'm gonna just finish with uh, prayer and then we'll go into a time of prayer and worship. Father, I ask that you would protect what was just planted. Lord, that you would bring us to a deeper place of appreciation, of adoration, of thanksgiving, of rejoicing over what you have done. Lord, bring us into that deeper place of intimacy as we behold your grandeur, your love. Lord, there's so much to the cross that is not said in this message. But I pray that you would continue to unpack it to our souls, that we would see it more clearly, more brilliantly. Lord, lead us in this time of prayer and worship. May you receive the glory. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.